Tree Talks acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the land and waters on which this podcast is produced. We recognize their continuing connection to the land and waters and thank them for protecting this coastline and its ecosystems since time immemorial. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back to episode four of Tree Talks podcast, the podcast that branches out into the world of trees one episode at a time. With your host, me, Mona Brookoff. And I was like, we collect so much data and it's like, we're not storing it. It's it's not being no. stored for... It's not necessarily just the storing of it, it's the utilisation of it as well. Yeah. Um, I'm doing, can't remember which unit, uh, I think it's um, Implement Tree Management Plan um, or Tree Management Strategy, um, one of the units in the five at the moment. And a lot of my answers are heavily um, putting emphasis on um, data collection, uh, retention, and, and proper um, sorting, ordering, and utilization of that data. It's all well and good to have that information, but to put it in a usable format and have it be easily accessible, easily, you know, have it be easy to sort through it, get the information you want extracted out of it. The utilization of that data is critical. Yeah. You know, it's like me struggling with my headphones. I think the reasons why we become arborists mainly is as well because we don't like technology, right? We, we want to be out in nature. We don't want to have to deal with that. There's going to have to be more of it integrated into arbor. There's going to have to be an IT sector of boroculture to utilize the data that we collect. Because as arborists, I think we have the power to collect an incredible amount of data but without mm. being able to sort through it efficiently and extract the information that we want. It becomes ultimately useless. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so can I rewind then and then just start from the beginning and say hello and who are we speaking to? So my name's Samantha Birkinshaw. I'm a climbing arborist from Victoria in Australia and I'm currently working as a contract climber. And did you grow up in Victoria? I did. Um, I grew up in Hoppers Crossing out in the west where there are very few trees. Um, so I'm <laughs> There wasn't a great deal of um, exposure to, to trees and to forests and whatnot, um, but I was fortunate to have uh, a mother who um, took me travelling a fair bit, so I, um, I did get to see a great deal of Australia in my youth. Did you climb trees as a kid? I did. Um, much. I, I used to climb a lot of things, much to the dismay of my mother, um, who would often yell at me to get down. Um, obviously, I wasn't off roads and harness back then, um, yeah. I had a, a lot less fear of death when, when I was a little kid because uh, you have that um, invincibility streak. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a shame that we kind of lose that, I guess. But um, yeah. Well, we can't kind of come to terms with reality. We um, we understand that. Oh, I have to pay bills. I have to. Uh, I have to go to work every day. If I get injured, I can't do that. Sometimes they say the series of unfortunate events that led you to this or series of fortunate events that led you to this career. It was complete and utter 
Uh, it's nothing inspirational. Um, I was at work and at the time I was working at a call center. Uh, I was in the conflict resolution department, which was an absolute blast. Um, and I think it was during a break, I was flicking through, I think Facebook of all things, and I saw an advertisement for a tree company, um, you know, advertising their services. And it was a picture of someone climbing a tree off a rocky farmers. And I thought, wow, people do that for a living? They get paid to climb a tree like that? And then I started looking into it more and more, and I found that this is a profession. This is a career that people choose to go down. And I thought, well, this is an intermediate job that I'm currently doing, um, but this seems like something I would really love doing. So I'm going to start throwing out resumes and um, pursuing that as, as something I want to do. Um, how how old were you at that time? I was I was not that not that old. I think I was about twenty six, twenty seven. Okay. So I had a few kilometers on the clock. Um, but really, do we really figure out what we want to do with our life at a young age? I think the vast majority of us job hop a fair bit before we find something that we actually want to do. And what did your family and friends think of you changing from call center to climbing trees or working with the well, trees they, and chainsaws? They just hoped that I liked it. My mother was um, a bit worried of the, the danger aspect of it. Um, and that certainly carried on with my fiance now quite worried about the changer aspect of it. She doesn't like hearing about um, uh, you know, big dangerous trees and certain jobs and whatnot. But um, um, they, for, for my family at the time, um, they were quite happy that I found something that I was interested in. They knew that the job that I was doing at the time was somewhat of an in-between between um, realising that I didn't want to fully pursue mechanical engineering, which I studied prior, um, and wanted to find something that I, I did really want to do with my life. And what was your experience like, uh, you know, putting your resume out there? Um, did you get many responses back or um, and then like no. what was your first first time like finding somebody and then working with them like what was your experience with that it was actually pretty bad um, I put my resume out for six months I got absolutely nothing crickets no callbacks no nothing um, I spent a few thousand of my own money to go do a chipper course and a chainsaw course and put them on my resume to show, hey, this is actually what I want to do. I'm not just, you know, swing slamming about here. Um, and it still took a few months of sending out resumes on the regular until I had a single interview. Um, that interview went well enough for me to get the, uh, get the, the job offer. Um, but I was, you know, I think cautioned a little bit Successfully, that oh, this is a very physical job and it's really physically demanding. I'm like, I'm a big girl, I can do stuff. Um, and then during the once I'd accepted that offer, um, there was a talk of, um, oh, you know, we've we've never had a, a woman work here, um, mm. you know, the guys are quite rough and whatnot. Uh, it was shortly um, after I started working, I got a bit more comfortable. Um, talking freely um, within the crew that they realised, oh, she's, she's worse than anyone else that works here. Um, I, I definitely think there was some reservations about hiring a woman. I definitely feel like um, they were very cautious about um, possible problems that would come up. 
um, just from the sheer fact of hiring a woman. Um, but I also feel like the, they found out that those worries were completely unfounded. Did you feel like you had to prove to them that you were worthy of their decision? And um... Oh, very much so. I, throughout my entire career um, as an arborist, I felt like I've had to put in a fair amount more effort to prove myself. Even now, working as a contract climber, yeah. I do feel like there is still a level of caution and reluctance to hire a woman. Um, there's a few people that listen that don't understand what an arborist is. So if you could just help explain what you kind of had to experience and then wh- what you had to do to get to this level and what a contract climber um, kind of would be. Yeah, so, um, an arborist, uh, a climbing arborist is essentially, uh, the old term would be tree surgeon. So we climb trees off broken harness um, and we, we do multiple different tasks in the tree. Primarily it's pruning. So removing limbs um, in a specific way uh, and, it's, and it's, you know, specific limbs to promote certain characteristics of the tree that we want um, and maintain health in some way, shape or form, or if we provide an aesthetic difference uh, to the tree for the customer. <clears throat> the other operations like cabling and bolting, um, which is to add structural support to the tree. Um, we also do things like uh, habitat works where we create hollows in the tree. It's more of a, an ecological um, work, but um, climbing arborists are often employed to do that because it's kind of hard to do from the ground. Um, and in terms of um, being a contract climber, so um, you have a few different options uh, within the arboriculture industry to work for a company or to work as a sole trader um, for yourself. So the common term is contract climber, but realistically, I'm climbing arborist that is a sole trader. Um, who is then hired on, um, usually on a day-by-day basis, sometimes on a job-by-job basis um, by tree companies to essentially be the climbing, uh, uh, the climber for that day or that job or whatever job they've quoted or taken on. And down here in Australia, um, there's certain levels that people need to um, understand when they're hiring an arborist, right? Yeah, so the in Australia, it is an unregulated industry, so you do not need to have any formal qualification or training to go out and perform tree works. Um, you will have a hard, you may very well have a hard time obtaining public liability insurance and your premiums may be quite higher um, because they do ask for your qualifications when applying for public liability. But your base level of um, certification as an arborist in Australia is known as a certificate three of arboriculture. So I currently have that. Um, the next level up, um, not necessarily a level up, but a level tangential um, would be cert five, which um, is often referred to as being a consulting arborist. That's far more theory, theory based, very little. Um, you're not necessarily going up and physically working on the trees. You're more so um, performing assessments um, and writing reports on trees, providing consultation um, for different decision making within organisations, um, such as councils and whatnot. Um, even higher above that, which somewhat gets into uh, a bit more high end consultation, specialisation, and research is your Certificate 8, which is also called the Graduate um, Certificate. 
Um, and once again, uh, above that, getting even more theoretical and more research-based is um, the Masters in Laboratory Culture in Australia. The vast majority of the time, uh, people will get their cert three um, to perform the physical work and they stop there. Many people continue on to a cert five to then be able to do consultation work. Continuing on with what I currently have my Cert 3, I'm doing my Cert 5 at the moment to be a consulting arborist. Uh, I'm branching out into different fields of arboriculture that aren't necessarily um, going up the hierarchy of education. I've done my Cert 4 training and assessment, which allows me to teach whatever I'm currently qualified in. Um, I love teaching. I've trained a number of trainees. Um, so I, that is informal training. So Cert of training and assessment allows me to um, formally train an RTO, which is a registered training organisation, um, to train people in their Cert 3. Um, and once I've obtained my Cert 5, I will then be able to teach Cert 5 as well. Um, so that's moving into the training side of agriculture, which I love. I, I find an enormous amount of joy from watching people progress um, and seeing that um, personal achievement in people when when they work hard and they they get better and they find that um, that joy and that pride of, um, of personal development um, tangential to that it doesn't really um, have any associated qualification uh, I try and do a little bit of ecology work um, I am a climbing arborist employed to do some work in the Murrable Council area. Um, upcoming to install habitat in um, personal property. Uh, that was a initiative started by the council. No, just with that. Um, just in case anybody doesn't understand what uh, or what or why we might need to put habitats in trees. So habitat hollows, which would be formed hollows in trees that have developed over many many years, sometimes decades or sometimes in really old growth, hundreds of years. Um, those habitat <coughs> hollows are critical to a lot of different species, some of which are quite particular about the hollows that they'll occupy. They become, <coughs> pardon me, they'll become critical for breeding of a lot of different species. And unfortunately, old school arboricultural practices would see hollows within trees as a major defect. Um, couple that with urban deforestation and general deforestation, the loss of habitat for a lot of species, including many endangered species, has been enormous. So given that that has occurred over a relatively short period of time and how long it has taken for those natural hollows to develop um, you know, over, again, sometimes hundreds of years, um, the creation of artificial hollows by arborists um, and ecologists is critical for attempting to um, reverse some of the damage that has been caused and uh, try and save some endangered species and provide for species that um, are still within these areas but simply have nowhere to breathe, nowhere to live. Within a boriculture, the ecology side of things um, should and needs to uh, become a greater emphasis because at the end of the day, we are the ones who are often uh, at a consultation level recommending works for trees. 
and performing work on the trees at a tree level. And um, the emphasis on ecology work to, again, reverse a lot of the damage that has been caused over the past few decades um, is vitally important for uh, the wildlife that um, has unfortunately been uh, uh, displaced, reduced, and in some cases erased. Even, yeah, urban uh, forests were just completely changing and Absolutely. Yeah. And the cultivation and fixation on, on control um, that uh, human beings seem to have over the natural world, uh, extraction control, um, and uh, uh, just kind of cultivation into an aesthetic rather than um, the natural world that it is. Yeah. Um, really, really damaging and devastating. Uh, and the, the ecology that it develops. Uh, within treetops, uh, around trees, in the undergrowth, in the entire interaction between multiple trees, entire swaths of forest land, um, is absolutely incredibly diverse, complex, um, and heavily integrated. And um, the removal of any one aspect just completely throws off a balance that has taken hundreds of years to yeah. foster and create naturally. Um, and in urban environments, um, that control over the natural world tends to foster nothing but uh, a control over green aesthetics rather than um, fostering a more um, broadly viewed uh, um, ecology of the urban environment. Um, the view of trees and wildlife being nothing but a nuisance and a bother um, is wholly damaging to the efforts that. Um, really need to start taking place and the views really do need to start shifting um, that trees are not a nuisance and not a, an accessory to have uh, as a, an aesthetic um, and are instead an integral part to the greater ecology of our urban environments um, I think is, is something that really needs to be adopted by humanity as a whole. 100% agree and that is leads me to a great question or I think it's a great question is uh, the kind of work that you do now as a contract climber you obviously work for other people what are the things mm -hmm. that you enjoy what are the things that you struggle with so at the moment I, I love the variety of work that I'm exposed to um, the different not only the right variety of work the variety of people that I'm exposed to and get to work with the opportunities that that provides and the fact that I'm not tied to one geographic area I am able to explore a greater um, portion of Victoria as a whole. The ability to dictate my own life as I see fit, freedom that provides um, some challenges. I definitely um, the some of the things I'm asked to do uh, in terms of how they may conflict with my own morals and ethics regarding tree work. That being said, being a contract climber. Um, I am free to turn down those works and there have definitely been times where I have turned down works. Um, that being said, so at times there are additional opportunities that are provided to me through my work. Um, one instance recently was a removal of a tree that had been very poorly pruned in the past and become um, quite hazardous. Um, uh, the structure had been badly, badly ruined um, for the lack of a more delicate term. Um, however, the trunk of that tree was quite sound and quite ample. 
Um, so before I had taken the entire tree down and gotten it down to a trunk and a few uh, major stems of decent thickness, I, I whilst removing that tree, um, I had been assessing it for suitability of um, habitat. Um, had some really good qualities. Um, the tree was sound, it was in good health, um, despite the poor structure. Um, it had a really good environment around it, um, suitable for habitat, um, beneficial for habitat. So I'd come down at that point um, just to get a drink and uh, I went and got the client and discussed the possibility of leaving the tree as is and coming back at a later date to habitat that tree. Um, and I discussed, them, discussed it with it. Uh, I discussed the, the hazard assessment that I'd performed mentally whilst doing that tree, um, the benefits and, um, and whatnot, and asked if, uh, if they, they did choose to go ahead with that, that I would be able to come back and monitor to see if I did indeed get habitation in that tree. And they were quite happy for me to do that. So uh, possibly this week I'll be going back to create two habitat hollows in that tree. Um, and hopefully in about six months I'll go back and do an inspection to see if there's been any habitation and keep in contact with them to see if that's been successful. So um, the opportunities that being a contract climber provides me is a lot more auto autonomy over the work that I do, um, a lot more freedom and a lot more exposure. Obviously some of the downsides is um, it's not guaranteed work you are reliant on yourself to um, be of value, be reliable, be of quality work. Uh, you're essentially running your own business and your clientele are the companies. So you need to be providing them with um, good service for one uh, and good value. Um, other people in the industry might not know you as Samantha Burke and sure they might know you as the splice witch. Yeah, that's the... I've had people um, just call me the splice which rather than my name, <laughs> which is always an odd thing. But I got a name as well. You can use that. Do you want to um, share I don't know. what the splice switch <laughs> does? So the splice switch, um, that whole thing came about um, from early days of being a, a trainee and not wanting to pay for fancy splice equipment because I was on a trainee wage. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to learn how to do this myself. So I started working on learning how to splice. And um, I had some help from some wonderful people and a lot of my work inspected before it was ever implemented or used. And um, I continued to work on that and became rather proficient at splicing and rather, rather knowledgeable. And a lot of my um, prior study in mechanical engineering fed into that. Um, and so I created an Instagram page. And um, at some point, uh, I was working on a, um, a splice that was a bit more um, experimental. And someone said, Oh, you're up to some witchy business. And uh, I said, oh, I just smashed that together with splicing and came up with the splice switch. And so I just <laughs> continued to post my works and people seemed to like it. Um, and every now and then I would post some of my climbing or some of my little adventures out in the bush or um, a rant about certain bits and bobs and that apparently became rather popular. 
people tended to, to enjoy me being quite frank <laughs> about things. Um, and so uh, that, that became a, a thing. And just to help again with those people that don't know the industry, what does it mean to splice something? So splicing is in reference to rope. So we often um, call it cordage in um, the splicing circle. Um, but what you're doing when you are splicing is that you are essentially partially deconstructing a rope and then reassembling it back together in a number of different ways or folding it into each other or packing it back into each other um, or burying it back into itself. And you're doing that to create features within that rope that can then be utilized for um, attaching hardware. Um, so you're changing the, the functionality of the cordage. Um, so more often than not, it's to create a little loop in the end of a rope that is uh, rated. So it has a specified strength that you then clip a carabiner into. Um, and it's in place of things like knots. So splicing is essentially um, creating terminations and features within rope um, to replace uh, things like knots and hardware. It's, were you scared um, doing this for the first time because your rope is your safety line without it? Yeah, um, yeah so then... So I did a lot of practice. Um, I had a wheelie bin, uh, a, a green wheelie bin that I'd filled with um, splices that I had done, cut apart, inspected, and experimented with all of the different techniques and whatnot. And I did that for quite a long time. I filled that wheelie bin with um, offcuts that I bought from the local arb shop, practicing, practicing, practicing. And um, whenever I felt like I'd, I'd done quite a good job, I'd take that to uh, my boss at the time who had been a splicer for a number of years. And I would also um, ask other splicers for um, inspection as well um, so that they could somewhat tick off my work as being um, you know, suitable for life support. And um, so I, I would essentially rely on my peers to approve my work um, to be used as life support. And obviously since then I've gone through um, certification through different manufacturers and gone through testing and whatnot. So um, I've also since then played a part in designing splices from scratch from new ropes going through production um, and uh, become a bit of a um, uh, an expert in the field. So Arboriculture has taken you um, through... I feel like different things of um, learning how to be in a very male dominated industry um, and then learning how it's not just about trees. It's the connection with the ecology as well. What the ecosystem surrounding trees, learning about the uh, structure and science of the gear that arborists use and um, making sure that, you fully understand it so then you can help other people understand the purpose of each things and um importance of safety checks i know you're very good at that where else do you see yourself within the industry like going down or do you feel like you're happy dabbling in all these things that you've got you've built up for the time now i'm, I'm quite happy um staying where i currently am and refining what I currently engage myself in. Um, the, 
one thing I love about Ebora culture is there is always more to learn. There is always more to perfect and to progress through. Um, so climbing, um, I recently placed second in the national competition um, and I'd like to continue working on myself so that I may one day place first in the national competition um, and help others get to a point um, where they can they can you know, feel the same kind of uh, pride in progression that I that I've had. Um, I want to do more within the ecology scene. Um, I'm relatively fresh to that uh, by comparison to my friend who is an ecologist. Um, I'd like to become more involved, learn more, and have uh, more experience within that field. Uh, I work with some uh, equipment manufacturers such as Courant, who uh, I'm currently the Australian ambassador for. Uh, I play more of a role of consultation um, and talk through um, for new products coming out and product testing, um, which I, I very much enjoy my relationship with Corrent. Um, I, I have no expectation from them, um, but they, they enjoy how engaged I am within that whole um, relationship that we have. Um, I also am in relatively um, frequent contact with um, retailers within Australia and enjoy trying to help them um, improve services or refine um, different things that they're wanting to get into. We're also working with um, Scannable, which is a um, company that creates uh, or has created um, software to essentially keep digital track of equipment um, and tag equipment. So you place a physical tag on the piece of equipment that you can then manage that equipment and um, perform gear checks, data logging, and um, other aspects like uh, proof of ownership, proof of um, inspection, proof of uh, you know, damage uh, recording and other things like that. Um, so the potential there is huge and I can also feel like that is something that is needed within industry because as I said, it is an unregulated industry and that often leads to poor safety practices, including proper maintenance and replacement of equipment. Overall, I'm quite happy where I am and I just want to continue to work on these different things that I've got my, my hands in um, and continue to progress and refine and develop within those spaces. But I'm always open to putting a bit more on my plate and trying something else. Um, one of those extra... Um dollops on your plate is um you've been probably the key person for setting up um women camps in victoria yeah yeah and yeah, so the um the women's climbing workshop that was yeah. um inspired by the women's climbing workshop overseas um i was there and all that and i've, I've um, had a chat with them recently for a little bit of advice and how do you run yours and how can i improve mine um, that all started with the BTIO, essentially me uh, annoying the president of the BTIO, Shane Hall, um, with, hey, help me do this, hey, help me do this, hey, help me do this. Um, so I really wanted that to be a thing in Australia. Um, I know how uh, I face certain challenges being a woman within the industry, and I've heard plenty of, unfortunately, horror stories from other women within the industry. Um, 
and I wanted to provide for others what I sought out for myself when I first started within the industry, which is support and inspiration. Um, I had that in form of amazing climbers and arborists like Chrissy Spence, Rebecca Barnes, Maya Blash, um, Jess Hamer, um, Alana Murray, and countless others that I sought out that I idolized and still do to inspire me to push myself and work hard to become you know, what I am now and what I hope to be in the future. Um, so the Women's Climbing Workshop, we've had one in Victoria thus far, which is kind of the, the test go. And then um, Maya Blash had one in Canberra, which I went up and uh, helped her run that, which was absolutely wonderful. And we have another one um, scheduled this year for October 6th and 9th um, in the Ballarat Scout Camp. And uh, we have, again, some amazing people coming over. We have Stephanie Drysoff and um, Chrissy Spence coming over, and Maya's coming down as well. And we have um, a lot of wonderful people helping out with that. And I really do hope um, it is uh, an inspirational time um, and encouraging time for the women that attend. The, the challenges with women and within the industry for more women to feel like they can be involved, do you think the industry needs to change the way it it does it? Uh, it is, or um, do you think women Absolutely. fit into the industry or how... I think um, women are more than capable of being arborists, whether that be from the consultant side or the practical, you know, hands-on um, side of arboriculture. There, there's also, there's often a lot of um, emphasis on being big and strong, and you're often finding that being big and strong is not necessarily a requirement to do the physical side of arboriculture. The physical side of arboriculture is far more reliant on skill. Um, than anything. Not only that, but the physical strength required to be a climbing arborist is really not that high. Um, you look at some of the top climbers within the world and they are not big muscle brown down brutes. They are rather lanky, skinny people who have refined skill over a long period of time. Um, so there, I, I see there is no real reason why women can't be within the industry um, in any aspect, but I do see that the industry is still sitting in an age of this is a man's job, this is a rough job, this is a tough job, and uh, women simply can't do it because they inherently cannot do it, which, again, is completely and utterly false. Um, there is still some pretty egregious examples of women uh, being kept down within the industry, um, which... I have zero tolerance for because I don't see any reason for it in any way, shape, or form. Again, there are women within this industry who absolutely kill it. Um, and a prime example of um, there is no reason why a woman can't be an arborist. And I'd love to touch on um, what your experience is as a trans woman as well within the industry because there is not um i well you don't you don't really hear those voices yeah exactly yeah um (laughs) so i am aware of there are some other trans women in in the industry none within australia that i'm aware of not that i think um trans women should be out as trans women um Mm, they should be allowed to live their life however they wish um uh me as a, a trans woman 
I'm relatively comfortable within this body, not wholly. I still have a lot of personal issues um, with living in this body, but those are personal issues. Um, however, how that affects my interaction with others, I often come across people who seem to have these preconceived notions of what a trans person is and what a how a trans person acts and behaves. Uh, and they often find that, oh, that's not the case at all with you. I'm like, well, no, I'm just a person. Um, and the vast majority of the time you find that, you know, trans people, gay people, et cetera, et cetera, are just people. Um, we are all just people. Um, mm. And at the end of the day, I'm here to do a job. And um, there is obviously the, uh, the people aspect of working in any job, the, the social interaction, et cetera, et cetera. I find that the vast majority of people that I come across uh, are quite respectful. Um, that being said, I do feel like that's somewhat of a privilege for myself now that I've established myself as, um, as a skilled arborist. And um, the respect comes from a place of this person is a skilled arborist. Um, and I respect them for that um, rather than <clears throat> I will treat this person as if you know, there are any other person. Um, I have had some people come up to me and say, oh, you're not anything like I, I thought a trans person would be like, well, I'm just a person. I'm exactly as you have, have found me. I uh, crack stupid jokes and make 90s references all day because I think it's funny. Um, so at the end of the day, I might be a trans woman, but I'm also just a person. Um, I think a lot of the time people have these notions of what a minority should or does act like or behave like because they have consumed that from social media and news. And um, the vast majority of the time with any form of social media and news, what gets put out there and what gets promoted are the extremes. People who um, perhaps have had a negative experience and then have an outburst and then they are paraded around as though, oh, this is what trans people are like. Like, no, that person has probably had a really shit day um, and has been pushed to their emotional limit or something. They've had a bit of a mm. fucking stat. Because mm. um, yeah. really, at the end of the day, we're just people. Our own um, personal struggles are just that. We're all just trying to figure out life. I don't think um, anyone particularly has life perfectly figured out. Um, regardless of the, the arguments and scientific notions and all this kind of jargon that we, we throw about, we, I think as human beings, we are above, uh, we're a bit more than just this animalistic thing. And I also feel like our understanding of animals and um, people and biology and whatnot is often um, <clears throat> contrived, often created, often biased. Um, and uh, really, I think there needs to be a bit more humanity in how mm. we treat one another. Um, I've definitely had people come off a little bit um, I don't know, shy to interact. And then they realize, oh, this is just a goofy idiot that climbs trees. Yep, that's me. Um, and we get along just fine. I've had people ask me, you know, um, uh, questions about, oh, do you, you know, 
when did you know you were trans and um, is it hard and all this kind of stuff? And I'll, usually if people are asking me questions out of, um, you know, just pure, they, they're curious or they want to know and they're being respectful, and they're not doing so out of malice or um, out of wanting to get a rise out of me or anything, um, I'll answer them and I'll talk to them about it. Um, again, through social media and um, the media in general, I think there's a lot of misinformation that gets thrown about. And I think, again, a lot of extremes of people are thrown about and people get their uh, impression of trans people from those extremes that are portrayed in media. Um, and it often provides an inaccurate representation of the minority. I love it. Um, you basically, I, I think of a question and you answer it already because it was going to be like, how can we interact with each other? And you're just like, yeah, just uh, be any human, just see how you interact. And I really love how you've structured everything and said everything and about if you're just genuine, you're genuine and see each person as a just a human being next to you working and um, especially within this industry as well, it's so, you're putting so much um, trust into your team that you're working Absolutely. with. So. Also, just so you know, um, as a queer person as well, I've, I come across, I, I know I'm very masculine. I've always been a tomboy. And so I always get it even like within the industry when people would be shocked that I was a female and, um, they, oh, like, or they talked to me as if I was a lad. And I was just kind of like, I'd never correct people. I was just like, you think whatever you think, that doesn't bother me. I'm just going to keep working and doing my own thing. Like, and that's the, not even within the industry as well. Like that's going to female toilets and people saying, what are you doing in here? I'm like, I'm going to the toilet. You know, yeah. like it, it's just people who just not seeing people and letting people be who they want to be. Like, um, yeah, I find a lot of that, a lot of it is media sensation, sensationalization. Um, and a lot of it is like, playing on the human um, bias to respond yeah. to something that makes us afraid, makes us worried or scared. Um, and it plays on that. And the vast majority of the time, it's all completely unfounded. And last question. Um, is there anything you want to say for the trees? Um, learn more about them. They're not just these things that sit in the ground and have green leaves and sometimes the leaves turn, leaves turn different colours. They are incredibly complex. They are not like any of anything else on this planet. Learn about them, learn about their interaction with the world around them, their relationship with fungi, their relationship with animals, how trees themselves um, live, uh, how they work, and understand that they've been around for a lot longer than us. And they are not like us at all. They, we, human beings have a tendency to anthropomorphize a lot of the things we try and interact with because that's our experience. And we try and apply that to things to them, understand them better and relate ourselves to them. But I think understand that trees are and have always existed um, without any form of care for humans um, and they are a whole different world. Samantha, thank you so much for your time. I've like thoroughly enjoyed 
having a yarn with you and getting to know you and listening to everything you're so incredible to listen to and if anybody loves listening to you they, they just need to follow you on instagram because yeah your videos are just funny educational like just a rant a normal rant that you're just like oh it's not just me that goes through this and they're so good a lot so. Of my, um, i will process that with uh, a lot of my um, instagram stuff is far less uh, cordial than the conversation that we've had uh, today a lot of this is uh, rather crude because i am a rather crude <laughs> so, uh, yeah definitely come check me out